Well, well, this is loud. Maybe you turn this one down a bit. <laughs> uh, thank you again for your prayers for my family. It means the world. My grandma uh, went home to be with Jesus on Monday afternoon at 3.45, and um, she was surrounded by her family. We were all there with her, holding her hands, and uh, we were singing hymns to her. And one of the songs that we sang, I, mean, I knew I was going to cry. Jethro, thanks for putting the tissues up here. Appreciate you. One of the songs that we sang was in Christ Alone. And the last verse just brought me so much peace and gratitude. It was no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry. Come on, finish it. To final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. You know, um... Over this past week, I've really found myself repeating the phrase, Jesus, thank you for eternal life. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. And our family, you know, we're, we're heartbroken. Uh, but deep inside of us is this, is this joy and this confidence that we're going to see our Grandma Mary again. I'll be praying for my mom. She's still grieving, obviously. and so, um, But we're looking forward to being reunited. And there's that hope that Jesus gives us. You know, I don't know how anybody goes through this without Jesus. That with Jesus, there's this hope of eternal life. And there's this hope, this knowledge, even, even in the midst of death. You know, when it, seems like, uh, when it seems like at first to be a battle that's been lost to sickness, or what seems to be like unanswered prayers is actually the greatest victory over death that we can ever experience. Because even in death, followers of Jesus can raise the banner of victory over the enemy because death truly has lost, and Jesus has won. Thank you, Jesus, for eternal life. You know, on top of our family sadness, there's, always, there's also this, this reality of, of what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, and it's under, Ukraine is under attack, and thousands of refugees are spilling over the border. It's an incredibly dark world that we live in, isn't it, church? Where we experience death and war and disease and, and famine and poverty. It's a dark world that we live in. You know, this past week has been difficult, but it's also brought some new clarity to the reality of heaven and, uh, and reminded me that we do not belong to this world. We're citizens of a different world. We're citizens of God's kingdom. And, you know, uh, after, after what happened on Monday with Grandma, uh, Jethro graciously volunteered to preach. And, and, he, and I, I said, you know what, let's do it, Jethro. Why don't you preach? And he, we were planning on Jethro preaching. But I felt like the Lord had a word. Uh, I, wanted to, I, I, I had a word on my heart that I wanted to share with you. And it's about the fact that you are not a citizen of this world. You're a citizen of heaven. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. By the way, if you're new and you're joining us, welcome. <laughs> you hopped into some real family business, and uh, I'm glad that you're here. I, I want to connect with you, and uh, you know, uh, my my one of the things that fills me up. I know not a lot of people are like this, but my personality type is I love meeting new people, and um, I just love I love finding the person who hasn't had a handshake yet. And so, if that's you and you you're here, you haven't had a handshake, you haven't had anybody say. Hello, find me after church. I want to shake your hand and say welcome. Uh, and also fill out one of these connect cards because uh, I want to get in touch with you. And um, are you there with me? Colossians chapter 3. I didn't even get there. I was telling you guys to get there, but I didn't even turn there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I passed it. Here we go. 
Philippians 3. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to continue down to verse 17 in a bit. It says this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's take a moment right now to fix our eyes, fix our hearts on things above. Would you close your eyes with me just for a moment? Close your eyes. And think about this for a moment. You cannot add a single second to your life because God's grace is the only thing that's sustaining you and sustaining the world. You are not in control. You're not in control, and at any minute, you could be hastened away from all that you've known here, either by physical death or Jesus' return. And in that moment, all the pain you feel in your body will be gone. All the chaos of the world will suddenly be silenced. All the tears you've cried will be replaced by infinite joy. And you'll be staring in the eyes of Jesus. Now, I hope that brings you comfort this morning. I hope that brings you hope. Heaven is your home, church. You can open your eyes. Heaven is your home. It's where you belong. Imagine beginning every day with that truth in your mind, that heaven is my home, that at any minute I could be looking at my Jesus face to face. At any minute I could be caught up with him. At any moment, all the pain of this world is going to cease. Paul starts by saying that your life is now hidden with Christ, and he's seated in heaven, so your home is now heaven. You know, it is true that it's possible to be so heavenly-minded. You know the saying that you're so heavenly-minded that you're not of any earthly good? It's possible to be so heavenly-minded that we become aloof, and we become just so focused on, on, on what's after this life that we just we ignore what's happening around us. We ignore the relationships in our life. We ignore what God has placed in our life today. It's possible to be so heavenly-minded that you're no, no, of no earthly good, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being intentional about focusing your mind on the fact that you are a citizen of heaven. Intentional commitment to God's kingdom in the midst of an earthly dwelling. Let's continue reading Colossians, starting at verse 5. Paul goes on to say this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, and the life that you once lived... But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, Paul talks about the fact, he starts off this chapter by saying that you do not belong to this earth. You belong, you've died with Christ, and you are now hidden in him. Where is Christ right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and you are hidden in Christ, which means you, there's this reality that we live in that we, that we are in Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, and we have an earthly dwelling. We are here And the kingdom is here, but it's not fully realized. But you are a member. You are a citizen of heaven. You belong to heaven. So Paul starts off this chapter by saying, this is where you belong. This is your home. This is who you are. Put your minds there. Put your minds on the things of heaven. Don't dwell on earthly things, but put your minds there. And then he goes on to give us instruction for how to live in an earthly dwelling while still being citizens of heaven. So I have six things for you that Paul gives us in this chapter. What does it mean for the rest of our lives here on earth? How do we live out the reality that we are citizens of heaven but are dwelling here on earth? Paul gives us six, six things about our heavenly citizenship. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. The first one is this, is that we do not have dual citizenship. We do not have dual citizenship. What do I mean? In America, dual citizenship is when you, uh, when a person belongs to more than one country and is subject to the laws of both countries. They are subject to the laws of both countries. In some countries, they don't allow dual citizenship, uh, but the U.S. does, the United States does. However, every person who desires to obtain citizenship in the U.S. must go through this formal ceremony where they recite the oath of allegiance. The very first line... I just looked this up this last week. The very first line in the oath of allegiance is this. I hereby declare an oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potent state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or a citizen. The very first line of your oath of allegiance when you become a citizen of the United States, is I renounce any allegiance that I had to any other country before this. Heaven does not grant dual citizenship. Paul says that when you become a citizen of heaven, you put to death your old self, and you renounce the things of this world. You renounce your old life. You put it to death. We are called to put to death all that dishonors God and demeans other. In verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he goes on to list all these things, all these things that belong to our earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And he goes on, he goes on. The first step of becoming a citizen of heaven is renouncing the old life. This is a vital step. And it's often overlooked and it's undercommunicated in the church. Many people think that they can have Jesus and fill in the blank. 
I can have Jesus and I can continue doing what I want to do. I can have Jesus and I can still continue on in these unhealthy relationships. I can have Jesus and I can still lie every once in a while. I can let, I can let malice and hatred slip out of my mouth. I can say things that demean others and are not pleasing to God. I can have Jesus and this, but Paul is saying, no, 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 you do not have dual citizenship. You cannot have one foot in here and one foot out, that when you say yes to Jesus and you become a member of the kingdom of heaven, we are called to renounce all allegiance that we had to our earthly nature. If I could take this analogy even further, the Constitution, it defines treason as levying war against the U.S. or aiding or comforting the enemy. Have you renounced your old life or do you still aid and comfort the enemy? Every once in a while. I think that we can all admit that we have aided the enemy in our life. After saying yes to Jesus. That we, that we say yes to Jesus. We become a member of the kingdom of heaven. But we still comfort our earthly nature. We still aid our earthly nature by doing things against God's design. Against God's desire. Romans 5.10 and Colossians 1.21 says that we were once enemies of God because of our evil actions, but we were reconciled with God because of Jesus. And the word reconcile, it means that there was a transaction that took place where Jesus paid his life in exchange for ours. He purchased you by his blood. He purchased you with his life. That's what the word reconciliation means. And now because of Christ's sacrifice, we are not enemies of God, but we're called friends of God. We are on his side. We are on his team. He calls us friends. He calls you a friend. Think about that for a moment. You are a friend of God. When somebody comes and, hey, do you have a relationship with God? You can say, yes, I'm his friend. I know God. I have an intimate relationship with him. I'm his friend. And when you engage in the patterns of your old life, you're aiding the enemy. And therefore, you're committing treason against the God of heaven. And when that happens, we need another dose of God's grace and his forgiveness for us. And the good thing about the Bible, did you know this, that the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible is God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. The most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible is God is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abiding in love. And when we, when we, commit treason against the God of heaven and we, when we aid the enemy, when we go back to our sinful nature, that God is gracious to forgive us. And he promises that he will. He promises that he will cover us with his son's blood. And so when that happens, we need another dose of his forgiveness. But we live with this reality that we are called citizens of heaven, that we're called to renounce the old lifestyle. That, that's not an option anymore. Going back to that life is not an option anymore. What else does it mean to be a citizen as a citizen of heaven? Number two is we wear heaven's attire. We wear heaven's attire. Every culture and every country has its own attire. And I remember uh, in Israel, when I was, I was in Israel in 2010, and I, I remember feeling like a fish out of water because 
I'm walking around in this marketplace, and there's Muslims, and there's, there's Jews, Orthodox Jews, and everybody's dressed up in this garb. And I, I look like this, this broke, white, 20-year-old, you know, in the middle of the Middle East, which is exactly what, what I was. I was a fish out of water. I, I, it was obvious that I didn't belong there because I didn't dress like everyone else. I wore my own attire because that culture has its own attire, has its own way that it dresses. You could even call it a dress code, that heaven, heaven has a dress code. Verse 12 of Colossians 3 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The clothing, the attire of heaven, the dress code of heaven is compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It's what kingdom, it's what citizens of the kingdom wear. They put it on every day. And you have to put it on every day. It's a choice. You wake up in the morning just like you choose what you're going to wear every day. I chose this outfit today. Every morning you wake up and you choose to put on, you choose to clothe yourself with compassion and humility and kindness, and gentleness, and patience? Do you want to stand out in a world of hate, and hostility, pride, abuse, and hurry? Citizens of heaven will stand out because they are clothed in heaven's attire. They stick out. They look like a fish out of water because they don't dress like everyone else. They dress like citizens of the kingdom. They wear heaven's attire. People of heaven, they learn to empathize with the pain of others. They're patient And they're kind when someone does something to offend them. They're humble when they're surrounded by family and friends. And people notice citizens of the kingdom because they dress completely different. They look completely different. They act completely different. Heaven has its own dress code, its own attire. We wear heaven's attire. Number three, as citizens of heaven, we speak heaven's language of forgiveness. Forgiveness is heaven's language. My wife is Romanian, Christina, and she speaks Romanian fluently. And uh, I always think it's so hot when she does it. Like, I'm just like, man, I just love it when she talks Romanian. It's good. I can say that. I'm married to her, okay? And uh, I remember on our honeymoon, we were, um, we were, I don't know if I've told this story at church before or not, but we were, we were shopping. Uh, I, I'm just dropping all these places. I hate it when people like, you know, name drop places that they've been before because it feels like they're bragging, but I'm, I'm not trying to brag. Okay. We were in Italy for our honeymoon three weeks for, for our honeymoon. I mean, it was awesome. And I remember being in Florence and we were, I'm shopping for neckties for our family, and uh, I had purchased these neckties for two euros at this one shop, and we went down the street, and there was another shop, and they were trying to sell neckties for four euros a piece, <clears throat> and so in my broken Italian, I got this book out, and I'm trying to communicate with the lady behind the, the table, hey, will you sell me these neckties for two euros instead of four? I'm trying to haggle with her, because we just bought them for two euros down the street, just a couple blocks away, and this man sitting behind the table starts muttering out in a language I don't understand, but it was Romanian. And my wife is standing right next to me. And what he said was, he's a liar. Don't listen to him. Don't sell him the neckties. He's not telling you the truth. And my wife jumped up to my aid and just started firing back blah, 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 in Romanian. He is telling the truth. Actually, we did go over there and, and they just, she, they took a step back. And they were like, oh my goodness. 
And she just like smiled like, oh, sorry, you know, kind of, and they continue this conversation and she's going, oh, I didn't realize that you were Romanian and I didn't, you don't look like you speak Romanian. You speak it so well. She was impressed that my wife spoke Romanian so well. It's one of my favorite stories to tell because I was in that moment, I was just this beaming husband, newly married. We're weeks into marriage and I'm like, that's my wife. That's That's right. This woman was surprised. She didn't expect the American-looking girl to speak such good Romanian. In verse 13 and 14, Paul says this. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Paul says that our language is forgiveness. And we have the opportunity to surprise people with how fluently we speak it. When they look at our lives, we can speak the language of forgiveness and cause the world to step back and say, I did not expect that to come from you. I did not expect to see that from the church. And they should. They should expect that to come from the church. But we have the opportunity to surprise people with how fluently we speak the language of forgiveness. If you're a citizen of heaven, that means that you've been forgiven for a multitude, a lifetime of sin. And Jesus tells us in a parable that we're also called to extend the same forgiveness to others no matter what they do to us. Jesus told this parable of the unmerciful servant where there was a master who had forgiven his servant of of of. Millions and millions, I think it was actually billions of dollars, modern day currency, billions and billions of dollars, a debt that this man could not pay. And that same man went out who was forgiven. He went out and he had a servant who he did not forgive of just hundreds of dollars. And he shook the man and he threw him in jail until he could pay it back. And when the master heard that that servant had done that to his servant, he called him back in and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you a multitude of sins. I forgave you all of this debt and you could not extend that same forgiveness to your servant. And Jesus says, I tell you, that is how the father will treat you if you do not forgive one another. It's one of the hardest verses actually for me to read in the Bible. That, that really, God, that you will actually withhold forgiveness from me if I don't forgive others? It's in the, I'm not saying it, church. You could read it in the Bible. Read the, read the book of Matthew. But Jesus talks about the importance of learning the language of forgiveness, that we're all called to speak it fluently. Citizens of heaven have no right to be offended at one another. Is that kind of difficult? That's a pretty difficult thing to say. But we have no right to be offended. Because anything that somebody can do to us, no matter how much it hurts, and now I know that there's some people in this room going, oh, pastor, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea what my father did to me when I was a kid. You have no idea what my, what my ex-spouse did to me. Pastor, you don't know what you're talking about. No matter how deep the wound, no matter how deep the pain, Jesus, he empathizes with you. He knows how that feels. He knows the pain that you feel. And yet he still calls us to forgive, to not hold offense. Because really all that does, all unforgiveness does, all offense does is it, it makes you sick. It causes a cancer in your spirit. And it makes you become distant from God because you think that you're holding that person captive with your unforgiveness, but you're not. They're sleeping well every night. They probably don't think about it, but it keeps you up, doesn't it? It's torturing you. 
And when you let that go and you, you learn to speak the language of heaven, the language of forgiveness, then there's this healing that begins to take place. We're all called to speak heaven's language of forgiveness. Number four, we live in divine peace with one another. As, kingdoms, as, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we live in divine peace with one another. Verse 15 says that the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Think about the state of our own country. We are all members of the same nation, yet our nation is so divided. We are not at peace with one another. We are not at peace with our neighbor. It's, it's red team versus blue team. And everybody's looking out for their own people's back. And they're trying to pick and choose which side that they're on. We are not at peace with one another as Americans. We do not live in, in peace in our nation. But heaven's people are supposed to be different. We're called to be different. We have a greater thing in common with one another than the things that separate us. And that thing is love for Jesus and gratitude for his grace. That's what we have in common. So therefore, we have the ability to act as one body because Christ is the head of that body. We all are members of a body where Christ is the head. And so we have the ability to live in a divine peace with one another, unlike the rest of the world. As citizens of heaven, we can model, we show people what peace with one another looks like, despite our differences. Peace doesn't mean that there's this absence of conflict An absence of trouble, that's not what peace is, but peace is calm in the midst of trouble. It's calm in the midst of chaos. It's the ability, it's the ability to say whatever is happening around me, whatever, whatever conflict I have with others around me, there's still a peace. There's still a love that I have for them. Whatever disagreements I have, I'm choosing to love them. I'm choosing to reach out. I'm choosing to have peace with one another despite our differences. We live in divine peace with one another as citizens of the kingdom. Number five, as members of the kingdom of heaven, we sing an anthem of gratitude and grace. Verse 16, Paul writes, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. You know, the twenty. 22 Winter Olympics just ended, and during every podium ceremony, they play the national anthem of the gold medal winner, don't they? And you get to hear all these countries' different national anthems, and every one of them sounds different. Well, heaven has an anthem. Heaven has a song. It has an anthem that we sing, and that song is thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your grace. It's an anthem of gratitude. Of, of thankfulness. Thank you for eternal life, Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus to die. Thank you for resurrecting him. That's the song that we sing. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. Thank you for giving us the authority by filling us with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God's people have an anthem, and it's gratitude. It's thankfulness for the fact that we have been redeemed. We have been plucked from the pit of hell. We have been plucked from darkness and given eternal life. We sing an anthem of grace and gratitude. And the last one is this. As members of the kingdom of heaven, we are heaven's ambassadors. Heaven's ambassadors. 
Verse 17 says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, an ambassador is a diplomat that's sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. And the ambassador has the authority to fully represent his or her own country. Jesus has given the church the authority to fully represent heaven. I'll admit we have a long way to go. We do. We have a long way to go. But Jesus has faith in his church. He's sitting at the right hand of God and he's interceding for his church. He's interceding for his people. But we are called to be heaven's ambassadors. We are called to speak on behalf of heaven, to speak on behalf of God, because we have his truth and we have a spirit living inside of us. And so we have the authority, according to Matthew 28, where Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you now have the authority. You are my ambassadors. You are the ones that I've selected. You know, I get discouraged oftentimes when I see our world around us about, man, what kind of world am I raising my kids in? That I, I brought four beautiful, innocent babies into this crazy, chaotic world where there's just, I, I mean, they're, they're toddlers and they know how to use an iPad and an iPhone and they have access to all the things of the world. And I'm scared. And I'm like, what, what did I do? Am I raising my kids right? I, why, you know, God, I need you to protect them. And the Lord just reminds me that I have appointed them for such a time as this, that they are alive in this season for a reason. Church, you are here for a reason. You are alive in this season, in this state of the world for a reason. God has selected you for such a time as this. And you know what? He's made you his plan A, and he doesn't have a plan B. You are plan A. The church is plan A for heaven. And Jesus has given all authority to the church to be his ambassadors, to speak on behalf of heaven. As citizens of heaven, as citizens of heaven, we, have, we do not have dual citizenship. We renounce our earthly life. We wear heaven's attire of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We speak heaven's language of forgiveness. We live in divine peace with one another. We sing an anthem of gratitude and grace. And we are all heaven's ambassadors. We speak on behalf of Jesus, on behalf of heaven. Heaven is and always will be a world of glory, a place of glory. When God makes all things new, the canyons and the mountains, the galaxies, the grasslands of this fallen world will groan no more. According to Romans 8.21, it says that all creation is groaning awaiting for the sons and daughters of God to realize who they are. These broken bodies will be clothed with immortality. Human society will share in the very harmony of the Trinity. Nevertheless, the hub, the center, the essence of all of this glory, whose name will rest upon our foreheads and whose brightness will light up the world, will be God himself in Christ. Heaven without Christ... Heaven without Jesus is like the ocean without water. It's like the sky without air. It's like fire without a flame. Because Jesus is heaven's beating heart. 
Jesus, the presence of Jesus in heaven is what makes heaven, heaven. He is the beating heart of heaven. And what does this mean for our heavenly mindedness that we that we're called to live on earth with our minds fixed on heaven? It means that our minds and our hearts are most full of heaven when they are most full of Christ. Your mind and your heart is most full of heaven when it's most full of Christ. Heavenly mindedness is an invitation to be with Jesus as much as we can in preparation for the day when we will be with him always. Because set your minds on things that are above means at its core to set your minds on him. Set your minds on Jesus. This week has given me a new zeal for bringing people into God's family. Because I've realized I don't know how anybody goes through, through the pain of life without Jesus. And it breaks my heart that people have to. That people, they, they don't have to. It's, it breaks my heart that people choose to. Or that they, they haven't heard the good news. They haven't heard the salvation that Jesus brings. And I hope that there's a zeal in your heart. I hope that there's a fire in your heart to tell people about Jesus. Because it's what everybody's missing. It's what everybody needs. Death is dark and scary without Jesus. But with Jesus, it's just going home. This morning, I wanted to end our time together by taking communion. And if you, uh, if you didn't get one of these on your way in, could you raise your hand and Rich can bring you one? Yeah, like we get a couple ushers in the back there. Thanks, Kurt. And um, we're going to take communion in just a minute. I'm going to let them pass that out first before we do this. But let me explain what communion is for those of you who are unfamiliar maybe with what, what this is. Communion is, is a, a gift of intimacy that Jesus has given those who follow him. And the night before Jesus was, the night that Jesus was arrested, he was sitting at a table with his 12 disciples. And they shared a meal together and he broke bread in front of them. And when he broke the bread in front of his disciples, he said, this is my body that's going to be broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took this cup of wine and he said, this cup represents my blood that is poured out for you. And this is all according to Isaiah 53, where it says that, that by his stripes we are healed, that he was crushed, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. That, that this act that we do, Jesus asked us to do this in remembrance of him as an act of intimacy and to realign ourselves with his sacrifice and with his resurrection. To realign ourselves with the fact that because of Jesus' body that was broken, my body can be whole. Here on earth, today, Jesus wants to give you healing. He died for it. He died to bring you healing. And his blood was shed so that your sins can be forgiven. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you try and try on your own like me? Or I think to myself, you know what? I just need to read the Bible more. I just need to pray more. I just need to, I just need to go to church more. I need to go to a small group. I need this. I need that. And we try to fix ourselves because we think that our good deeds or our actions are going to make a difference, but they don't. And Jesus said, my blood being shed for you is the only thing that can set you free, is the only thing that can bring you forgiveness. And so before we take communion, 
I want everybody in this room just to close your eyes, bow your heads. I want to offer an invitation for, for anybody in the room who does not have a relationship with Jesus. And you say, this morning, I want to invite Jesus into my life. Jesus is calling you into his family. He's calling you home. He's calling you into this kingdom of heaven and wants you to be a citizen of it. If that's you, if you've never said yes to Jesus, raise your hand so I can pray with you this morning. Raise it high. Praise you, Jesus. Everybody repeat this after me. Jesus, I love you. And I thank you for dying for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I renounce my earthly nature. And I embrace being a kingdom of heaven, being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Sorry, that was confusing. Jesus, I love you. Amen. Take the cup with me, or take the bread. Open it up on the bottom. Yes, there's, there's a top and a bottom in these ones. And take the bread. Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you that it's because that it's because you took a beating on the cross and you were whipped and you were bruised and there was a crown of thorns placed on your head because of your body that was broken. Our bodies can find healing. We have intimacy with you. And Jesus, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that you've given us this act of communion as a physical reminder of the grace that we walk and of the grace that we live in. So, Jesus, we receive it with joy, and we thank you. Let's take the body together. Take the cup. Jesus, thank you for your, your blood that was spilt for us. We thank you, Lord, that, it, that it's the only way that we can be with you. It's the only way to be right with God is by receiving the blood that you shed for us. And Lord, this is a reminder of that. This is a reminder that we need you once again. Lord, we come to you with all humility, and we tell you right now in this moment, Lord, I repent of the things that have kept me from you. I turn away from those things. I fix my eyes on you once again. Draw me close to you, Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, let's take the cup together. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for your presence in this place. We ask that you would be with us. Lord, that you would speak to us. You give us a new fire for bringing people into the kingdom of heaven. You are so good, and we love you with all of our hearts. In your name we pray. And the church said, amen. Amen. In just a few minutes, uh, I'm going to meet you. Um, whoever wants to come to Connect class is welcome to join us. We're going to be in the cafe in about 15 minutes, and we'll sit around a table, and we're going to discover uh, some spiritual gifts, some personality things that God's put in us, and uh, we're going to talk about that. It's going to be a good time. We'll see you there in a minute. Love you.